This episode is in support of Mental Health Awareness Month. Our brain is wired to perceive threat. The problem is it's not a saber-toothed tiger or a mastodon chasing us. It's a microscopic piece of unfortunate DNA and RNA that is, you know, replicating among humans quite rapidly. So we have a sense of threat. We have a sense of heightened anxiety. And I'm hopeful that this Mental Health Awareness Month will be special in that I think it's going to continue to drive kind of an open acceptance that mental health vulnerabilities are ordinary human vulnerabilities. They are common. To me, the COVID-19 pandemic is an extremely stressful, unfortunate reality for so many people. But I do think the silver lining is that people are engaging in more conversation about the impact on their mental health. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Today, we have a really special episode. We're going to be talking about health, specifically your mental health and how to manage it during COVID-19. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and isolation efforts in March, Americans have reported greater negative mental health outcomes. Whether it's because they've lost a job or fear losing one, or they're struggling to pay their bills, or they're worried about their health and safety or that of everybody in their house, The continuous onslaught of worry and insecurity is leading to greater mental health issues than ever before. Today, most people who are in lockdown are reporting symptoms and signs of depression, anxiety, and fear. This increase has been sustained for several weeks and is showing no signs of fading. So on this episode, we're going to unpack mental health and discuss how you can manage your mental and emotional well-being during this time. Ken Duckworth, Chief Medical Officer of National Alliance on Mental Illness, will be joining us on this episode where he'll share all the strategies that you can use to look after yourself during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. While one in five people will experience a mental illness during their lifetime, everyone faces challenges in life that can impact their mental health. This is something Dr. Ken Duckworth knows all too well, as growing up, his father experienced severe bipolar disorder. His father was loving, kind, and periodically quite ill, hospitalized for months at a time. Ken became a psychiatrist in part to help his father. Here Ken shares more on his story and also explains why mental health is so important, now more than ever. I think there is no health without mental health. And I think there's an increasing recognition through a lot of leadership on a lot of fronts by celebrities who are acknowledging their vulnerability to ordinary people who are talking about it to the mental health parity law, which improved access and insurance health care. I'm also impressed that the younger generation is open 
about these vulnerabilities in a way that, you know, I grew up in a family in silence as it related to my parents who were wonderful people, but very vulnerable on the mental health side. We didn't talk about it. We didn't have a framework for it. And to me, mental health awareness is exactly this. The idea that you take a month and you devote it to the understanding that mental health is an important part of health. And this COVID-19 pandemic gives us the opportunity for those of us who were fortunate not to have serious mental health problems to experience anxiety, fear, be re-traumatized. And I think a lot of us have felt like, oh, I have a better sense of empathy for what this is like for people who live with anxiety disorders, depression, panic disorder. Because there is a threat and our brain is wired to perceive threat. The problem is it's not a saber-toothed tiger or a mastodon chasing us. It's a microscopic piece of unfortunate DNA and RNA that is, you know, replicating among humans quite rapidly. So we have a sense of threat. We have a sense of heightened anxiety. And I'm hopeful that this Mental Health Awareness Month will be special in that I think it's going to continue to drive kind of an open acceptance that mental health vulnerabilities are ordinary human vulnerabilities. They are common. And if you get treatment early, you do better. If you have good insurance, it's easier to get care. We need to fight for better insurance coverage for people who don't have it. So to me, the COVID-19 pandemic is an extremely stressful, unfortunate reality for so many people. But I do think the silver lining is that people are engaging in more conversation about the impact on their mental health. And so I view this as a continued step in a positive direction where we accept that health and mental health are essentially one dimension. According to the American Psychological Society, quarantine and isolation increases the odds of negative mental health outcomes. Psychologist Samantha Brooks at King's College London and her colleagues published a rapid review of the research on the psychological impacts of quarantine, primarily in adults, and found negative psychological effects, including post-traumatic stress symptoms, confusion, and anger. If you're struggling right now, you're not alone. Most of us will find this time incredibly challenging. Here, Ken shares different actions that each of us can take to manage our mental health. The primary experience people are having is anxiety and problems with sleep. And what's important about sleep, of course, is it's your protective superpower. And if your sleep gets dysregulated, it predicts recurrence of anxiety, recurrence of depression, recurrence of bipolar disorder. So minding your sleep is really important and anxiety works against sleep. So, you know, the idea of aerobic exercise, social connection, staying in touch with people, not letting your most automatic negative thoughts become part of a belief system that you have. You need to know what the worst things could happen, and then you need to let them go. So it's a giant Zen exercise in cognitive behavioral principles, right? You need to think about difficult things, but you don't have to believe them to be your reality. What I see in the mental health side is a lot of people are reporting anxiety, isolation, and related depression. The good news in this is the mental health field, which has been notoriously slow-moving, did the fastest pivot in its history, and within two days was providing telehealth 
to about 99% of all the visits being given in person flip to telehealth within two days. Every clinician I talk to is working harder than they did before. They're working out of their basements. And to my surprise and theirs, both the people getting help and the people delivering help think this is good care and they like it. They also notice they don't have to drive. They don't have to pay for parking. And the therapists notice that the patients show up on time for their Zoom appointments. Balancing the demands of motherhood has never been easy, but COVID-19 is forcing working mothers to be employees, parents, and teachers all at the same time. Many working mothers and some fathers are having a hard time keeping it all together. In fact, 74% of mothers in the United States say they feel mentally worse since the pandemic began. While mothers have the triple burden of dealing with work, home, and childcare responsibilities, Everyone's situation is different and likely to be stressful in some way. If you live alone, the isolation can be very challenging. If you have sick dependents to care for, how do you do this while still working? If you just lost your job, this can be an incredibly challenging time to find another. Every situation is different, which is why Ken says it's important to have a plan to manage yours. Are you checking in on your extroverted friends? Yeah, they're not doing so well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody's situation is individual, right? And some people are living in 200 square feet and some people have comfortable backyards and some people live in places with nice weather. Everybody has their own set of circumstances. And I think one of the things that I have found compelling about this is that you have to be able to recognize your thinking but not necessarily believe it. So this is like a piece of anxiety, right? So there's the whole body part, aerobic exercise, deep breathing, no media and no coffee after 6 p.m., right? This is kind of the general rule of thumb because the media is unsettling for the most part. It's not a lot of great news coming out on CNN. So you have that, but then how do you not get into your negative spiral of your thinking? And this is like the cognitive behavioral principle that if you define yourself through a bad activity, let's say you lost a job through this economy and millions of Americans are losing their job. You know, there's two ways to think about it from a cognitive perspective. One is it's really crummy that this virus blew up the American economy and I happened to lose my job as part of this wave of millions of people that have done that. Another way to think about it is, you know, I'm not a good employee. Maybe I'm not worthwhile hiring. So you see the difference between, like you see the situation, you recognize it, but you don't internalize it. Same thing with the uh, situation, you know, on the whole COVID thing. So you need to have a plan if somebody in your family got sick, but you can't live in the zone where you're planning every minute for someone to get sick. This has become a giant cognitive behavioral challenge, I think, for America. How do you not fall into the most negative kind of thinking? How do you not fall into that? And what I would say to people is if your contacts, your social relationships, your connections, and your exercise strategies, and whatever you do to make sure your sleep is intact, if there's not effective, you know, contact a clinician and uh, see what your health plan covers because mental health field is ready to do telezoom with people video-enabled, or in many cases, flip phone-enabled, because a lot of people don't even have the access to the internet. And these clinicians, 
they're supportive people, but they also can help you. How do you question your thoughts and not simply endorse them or more importantly, incorporate them into your sense of how you define yourself? Right. So I lost a job versus I'm a loser at work. They're very different frameworks. And I'm facing a threat versus I'm sure everything will go poorly. So, you know, how you think about your anxious and negative thoughts is actually quite important. And some of these meditation apps, I think, are offering that to people. I mean, everybody has to figure out what works for them. But I think there's a lot of deep breathing and letting go happening across America. And I think for some people, that's really effective. Sometimes depression can sneak up on us. We're fine one minute, managing the challenges with COVID-19, and then we lose a job, a loved one, or we get sick. And pretty soon, this tips the balance over into something that can become unmanageable. Here, Ken shares how to know when you really need help. Most people are living with this kind of off-camera sense of anxiety. Like, how bad is this actually going to get? And so I think that's in the acceptance category. Like, we don't know how this is going to play out. This might impact somebody that you love. You may or may not, you know, have a job in six months, right? That's a lot of anxiety to accept. That said, if you can function at your work and be a reasonable good parent, remember that, you know, you have to be gentle with yourself, lower expectations during this crisis. What I like to tell people is, hey, this is my first pandemic. I'm not sure. I never took a class in pandemic mental health. People are social and need connection. So if you can function reasonably at work and as a parent and, you know, say, listen, I'm not doing my best in your relationships, everybody else feels the same way. That's a little different than waking up at three o'clock in the morning, pacing the house for hours, having negative thoughts, thoughts about safety, harming oneself losing weight or gaining a lot of weight in the context of a depressive syndrome. The mental health field typically uses two weeks as a relatively arbitrary framework for if I can't function and I have a symptom pattern for two weeks, I might actually have a depression. If I have an anxiety disorder and I can't leave the house, which is a term called agoraphobia, you know, how do I address that? that those are probably situations that require a call to either a clinician, therapist, psychiatrist that you once had in the past, or to your primary care doctor. Primary care does a lot of heavy lifting in this world, in mental health, and they may know a therapist who can help you with panic disorder and agoraphobia, anxiety, or depression. These things often travel together. I would also say for people in recovery, this is an important stress that you are dealing with that is not your fault. But AA, NA, smart recovery, these are all online. And you can now get methadone through a pharmacy for the first time, you know, I think in 60 years of methadone, instead of having to go to a clinic every day. And you can also get Suboxone, which is a treatment for opiate use disorder, through a video chat. So some amazing things are happening. But I think if you have symptoms that are disabling, worries about your safety, problems that persist for weeks. Two weeks is an arbitrary cutoff because some things do pass, right? You have a bad day, you feel bad, you're upset about something, and then you do pass. This is complicated because I think it confuses people. 
when you actually have a real mental health vulnerability. People say, well, I did feel better after I had a weekend that I didn't do any work or I rested or I went for a long run or I changed my state in some way. When you can't change your state and you're persistent in negative thinking, sleep disorder, eating vulnerabilities, hopeless, worthless thinking, this is when I would really encourage you to find help and get an assessment, get an evaluation. And you're not committing to a life of care. You're committing to figuring out which ballpark your licensed clinician thinks you're in. All right, this sounds like it's mild depression. Maybe we could do a couple of sessions. Maybe you could, you know, think about an exercise regime or connecting with old friends. So I would say functioning, safety, and duration are the three things to think about. So two bad days, I probably wouldn't seek help. Most of us will struggle with the mental challenge of working from home for an extended period of time and all the stress that comes with the uncertainty of the global pandemic. Here, Ken outlines how leaders can support their employees during this time. If you're a manager, I would connect with every person on your team in some way every day. And so I was given a chat to a large retailer and what they were doing, and they were doing a mental health conversation with me just to get my perspective on things. And one of the managers says, I have all 35 of my employees do morning stretching with me. And you don't have to have your camera on if you're not loving the way you're looking or feeling. But the idea is we're chatting about the workday, our lives, we're complaining about trying to do you know, school at home while working. And we're all stretching. So we're doing something physical and something connecting. Isolation is very bad. And so in the workplace, you know, how do you stay engaged with people? It's a really good question. You know, ask your HR department, do they want to do a conversation like a support function? Do you have an EAP that has a support function? Like, how do you stay connected? So I would say, if you're a manager, stay in touch with your employees in some way every day. And I know that's probably hard if you're managing 500 people. That might be an email. Just want to let you know, I'm, a, I'm aware you're here. <laughs> you matter to me. And our company's facing uncertainty, right? Maybe you wouldn't want to mention that every day. But I think this is also true outside of the workplace. You have people in your life that are probably lonely and are probably feeling stressed. And whether that's your neighbor who's in their 80s, who you can shop for, one of my daughter's volunteers at a local school where they give food away to the kids who are dependent upon the school for food, right? And of course, the school's closed. And what she has said to me about that is, it's amazing to give to other people. And she's also made a friend, and she's learning things about the world, which are really valuable for, I think, her life lessons, which is, you know, that the school system became a source of nutrition for thousands of people in the Boston public schools. And I don't think she had a real good recognition of that because the lines are long when she shows up for her volunteer post in the morning. The lines are long. And I think it's great because she's giving to other people. She's connecting, right? She's made a friend at volunteering. She's dad, I can't believe I made a friend while doing volunteer work. So there's a connection there. So these are the kind of big picture strategies. I think this is just the application of your instinct to lean out to other people 
and to stay connected with them. hope you all found my conversation with Ken insightful and helpful. Just a quick reminder for all of you who are at home under lockdown that if you're experiencing stress, anxiety, and depression, these are some of the tips that Ken mentioned that might help you cope. First, regularly take time out to check on yourself. Pause, breathe, pay attention to how you're feeling. Second, take breaks from all the COVID-19 content. That means switching off CNN. Third, make time to sleep and exercise. You need to get your regular seven hours. Fourth, reach out and stay connected. Check on your isolated friends, especially the extroverts. And finally, seek help if you're feeling overwhelmed or unsafe, or if you've had more than a couple of really bad days in a row. For more information and resources, please visit the National Alliance on Mental Illness at www.nami.org. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. This episode means so much to me because mental health is such an important topic and I want to make sure that all of you have the information you need to take care of yourselves during this time. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can sign up to my weekly newsletter at michellepking.com. You can also reach out to me there for interview requests or to be featured on the show. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.